This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome to the Frustrating Podcast Podcast, where we break down and dissect simple podcasts and add complexity and polish. I'm your host, Elle Martinez. Today's podcast is an especially challenging one. I don't know if you heard of this show, I hope not, Stacking Benjamins, but this is a case of two people getting in way over their heads and needing serious help with polishing up their show. For this problem, they reached out to fame producer Bruce Dickerson. Let's listen in to Mr. Dickerson's advice. Hey fellas, I'm Bruce Dickerson, yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound, fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. More cowbell. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're diving into habits. How do you build atomic habits to change your life? Joining us is deep thinker and author, James Clear. Plus, in our headline segment, did anyone notice a stock market drop last week? Hmm, not me. Well, anyway, we'll chat about that roller coaster ride. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, answer your letters to the mailbag, and, like a pinnacle high above this whole podcast, we'll feature my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who are already working for the weekend, and it's only Monday, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Uh, it's Monday already. It feels a lot like Thursday. It did. But Isn't that bad when you roll into a new week? You roll into a new week and it doesn't feel like the other one ended yet. Houston, we have a problem. But we don't have a problem because we are back after the weekend. Glad to have you here with us. I'm Joe Saul. See hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know who's who. And across the card table from me is... Me. Mr. OG, a.k.a. the other guy. OG. Yeah. Good weekend? Uh, a little moist This is in the basement. This is our first time, speaking of moist, to say thanks to everybody who came out to Kansas City to see us. It was an intimate crowd because there was a tornado warning just before it and torrential rain for three days before it. I felt like I needed to take my arc. Yeah, I really felt that I should have taken my jet skis know, <laughs> from the hotel to the, to the improv. I know, but uh, thanks to everybody who came out and did bring their jet ski. It was such a good time. Yeah, how about we had somebody from Oregon? 
That was incredible. Thanks to Jay from Oregon for coming to Kansas City to see us. People from Iowa. Jen brought her friends from Iowa. We had friends. Uh, Doug. Doug had a buddy. Who knew that Doug had uh, somebody, Randy? Buddy. Yeah. A single buddy. How, how about that? Uh, speaking of buddies, thanks to RX Bar for being buddies with the show. Huh? Is that a good one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar that we brought with us to Kansas City. I have one in my bag every flight. Whole food protein bar, no BS. Get 25% off your first order at rxbar.com slash SB and use promo code SB. That's rxbar.com slash SB, promo code SB. We're also going to take our second sponsor spot time to say, hey, Detroit, we're coming to see you rounding out our three cities. Cannot wait. We've learned so much in the first two shows. And uh, we this got, will be perfection. We've got some new magic in this show. Lots uh, of glitter bombs. It's like a Gallagher show. You just come, you get a little poncho in the front row. It's going to be fantastic. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash tour. It's going to be Wednesday, October 24th, 7 p.m. Go go comedy, improv, theater in fabulous Ferndale, Michigan, just north of Detroit. Hey, we got a great show for you today. James Clear coming down to the basement. Nice. So let's get into our headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our first headline comes to us from money.com. I don't know if you saw this last week, OG, but the stock market went down slightly. Yeah, it turns out it did uh, just kind of go down a smidgen. I saw it. <laughs> it took my breath away again. It was like one of those ones where I didn't, I certainly didn't see it coming, nor did, nor did anyone. But uh, oh, boom, down three and a half percent one day. Like, oh, that'll pucker you up if you're not. But, okay but, with that? But, you know, and somebody I read, so I'm reading all these headlines. This headline says, the stock market had its worst day since February. Here's how worried you should be. Oh, yes. Here's how worried you should be. Which immediately you says- You should be super worried. You should be worried. Another one called the downturn historic. Historic downturn. And a 3.5% downturn ain't historic. It's nowhere close to historic. Well, because they, they use that liberally with the point decline. Let's go through that. If a $100 stock goes down 2 bucks versus a $5 stock going down 2 bucks, Both are historic. Oh, my gosh. Big difference, though, between the two. And as the market goes higher, a point decline means less and less. It's percentage of your money you lose that makes a lot of difference. So if we've got a market scraping along all-time highs... Okay. Historic number wise, that's overly sensationalized. Of course, I saw the word plunge used, right? We had to have that stock market plunge. This piece says the S&P 500 fell the most since February and the NASDAQ 100 had its worst day in seven years. But while the size of the declines were a shock, Wall Street traders reported little in the way of panic. Wow. Traders weren't panicked, but I saw people in my Facebook feed panicked. What should Mm -hmm. I do? What should I do? You know, people in our Facebook group were talking about market timing and we're talking about isn't deciding to get more aggressive now also market timing? It is, but do you see anything wrong with that? Well, it's a gateway drug. You know, if you convince yourself that you're, well, I'm getting more aggressive, you know, because the market was going down, so I'm going to be more aggressive. Can you not also rationalize, well, you know, the market's w- way high. I should probably get a little more conservative. Isn't it a pretty slippery slope between those two things? It's a very slippery slope. I always like it more aggressive, not with my allocation, but I like getting more aggressive by putting more money in. Because that's the one to save more money. That's the one part that you control is putting more money away. Now, if you saved up money waiting for this moment, I think that was the wrong move. Well, yeah. Also because it's down three and a half percent from an all-time high, so it's still higher than it was <laughs> the first of September or whatever. So, you know. Larry Weiss. You missed out on all this stuff from uh, February through September, but by God, you got you got September 1st pricing on uh, October 15th, so congratulations. Larry Weiss, head of trading for Instanet LLC in New York, said by phone, this is in this piece, I don't think anyone senses any panic at this point. Given the levels we're currently at, a lot of people think that something like this and even more downside are slightly overdue. True or false? Well, I can't prognosticate the way he can, apparently, but 
we just have to look at the averages here. The peak to trough average decline in a year is 14.5%. So wake me when we go down 149 or 15%, and then I might pay attention. It's funny how much, though, people last week were saying, here it is. This is it. This is finally it. It's it. The sky is falling. The sky is pray, finally falling. Pray God. Pray God that it is the case. For all of you accumulators, it sounds very cliche, Joe, but seriously, if you had the opportunity, what's the Dow at? 26,000 and some change or right. something? Yeah. Something like that. If you could take $1,000 a month and say, okay, I get to buy this at Dow 20,000, wouldn't you take that deal? Like if you could take hundred grand and invest it at Dow twenty thousand, of course you would take that deal. Why wouldn't you? People complain that the market goes down. Well, what a great opportunity. You and I think that it's cliche to say that, but is it really cliche to say that? I mean, it seems like when you look online, you see all these people asking the same question over and over. Is it a cliche? I don't think it is a cliche. If it were a cliche, it'd be something that we all knew. I think cliche is us saying to your point. Well, like you said, <laughs> well, it really is. I mean, at the end of the day, just stick to your stick to your plan, people. My goodness. Please do not get frustrated or bent out of shape about a minus three or four or five percent week. I did actually have a client that called me about it. Nice. I had one client. That's good. No. No, it's not good. I thought I trained him better than this. No, but it's but, good that their first reaction, though, wasn't to move. It was to call you. Well, sure. No, no, I got that part. But, you know, we send out weekly emails of of their stuff. And, and so he goes, hey, uh, uh, counts were down quite a bit last week. Oh. And so then I, I immediately, immediately changed the formatting to once, you know, the year return, screenshotted it and emailed it back to him. And I went, look good to me. Yeah. But even then, it's all about perspective. Even if it didn't look good, then I mean, don't get me wrong. You need to know where your limits are. But even if it didn't look good one year, what do you do? I mean, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand one. If you've got a plan in place, stick to your plan. The people that get wrecked are the ones that the ones that either a don't have a plan or b abandon don't the plan. On the yeah, abandon the plan for plan number sixty five. Our second headline is one that I think we've done this a few years in a row now. This comes to us from Fox Business, written by Ken Martin. Here are 2019's best places to retire. Remember doing these? Oh, oh, best. oh I thought we were going to do best places to invest. Oh, no, 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 no. Not that one. No, this is more fun, I think. Best places to retire. Okay. Let's talk about cool. where in the I'm United States that. you should retire. Yes. Uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The piece says, everybody has their idea of the best place to spend their retirement years. Apparently, yours is Jackson Hole. And mine will be... Detroit, Michigan, you know, everybody's got beautiful, their beautiful this time of year. I hear, uh, gorgeous, uh, In seven months from now, it'll be summer again. Don't worry. Some say Palm Springs, California. Others prefer Honolulu, Hawaii, maybe sunrise, Florida. Apparently they missed Detroit there. U S news and world report unveiled 2019's best places to retire with what city leading the way? Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque, Iowa is not there. And by the way, neither is Jackson hole. The top 10. Number 10, Lakeland, Florida. Nice area. Number nine, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. I could see that one. Retired to Dallas? I guess he retired to Fort Worth. I kind of like the Fort Worth vibe better than the Dallas vibe. No offense, Dallas. I love Dallas, you would. too. I like you to- would, Mr. Texarkana. What do you, Get what out you, of my state. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. Fort Worth is a great... Fort Worth is a cool town. Uh, number eight, San Antonio. Speaking of great okay. towns. Number seven, Nashville, where it seems like every blogger we know is moving to Nashville. All number the cool kids. Number six, here's a cool one, Grand Rapids, Michigan, by my mm-hmm. old stomping grounds where I grew up. That is a pretty very, town. Very cool town. Yep. Yep. Number f- nice college town, little college town that uh, some money there. Speaking of that, another town, northern town that I thought was cool, didn't know anything about before I went there, Pittsburgh, PA. Fun place. You've been to Pittsburgh? You know, I like their little uh, bridge thing. I actually played uh, baseball in the Pirate Stadium one year. In the new one? In Progressive Field? Hmm. Unaware of whether or not it was new then or is new now. All I know is that it said Pirates. Well, this is a beautiful stadium with the bridges in the background, and then you've got the city skyscape, and it's a lot of people call it the number one. Yeah, I think it was that one. Number one. How long has it been there? Uh, Don't know. Somebody's got to write in and tell me that. At least 15 years, maybe. 
And then it wasn't that one. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be way off. But yeah, it's it a lot of people call it the most beautiful park in the USA. But well, anyway, uh, I played baseball there. Carnegie Mellon there is uh mm-hmm. just a great campus. Number four, one of my favorite well, this is my favorite town in the US, Austin, Austin, Texas. That's Austin, a, Massachusetts. Austin, Massachusetts. Cool. Uh number three. How come that's not on the bingo board? Because you've been you've been cracked that joke in like a year, that's why. But probably anything that's on the bingo board. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, people in our Facebook group create a bingo board of crap we say all the time. Austin, Massachusetts should be one of those. Number three, Sarasota, Florida. Number two, Fort Myers, Florida. And number one, Lancaster, PA. How about that? I didn't see that coming. I've heard it's beautiful. We're going to have Lisa from the Mad Money Monster blog back on with her husband on Halloween. And of course, we've had Claudia and Garrett from Two Cup House on where they talk about living in a smaller house. They, they're they both in Lancaster mm-hmm. and say it's gorgeous. Just cool, yeah. yeah. So does Money Magazine now or wherever. It says, deciding where to retire is a big decision, says Emily Brandon, senior editor for retirement at U.S. News. The best places to retire offers a way for future retirees to make a more informed decision based on what matters the most to them, whether that be housing affordability, access to quality hospitals, or the desirability of a place in general, the rankings offer a comprehensive list that can point people in the best direction for their needs. But seriously, I mean, I love going over this list every year. I like going over it again just now. Is this list going to influence your decision? No, but it could give you a starting point, couldn't it? I mean, when people move or have an opportunity to move across country, don't they look at a list and say, well, you know, here's a couple of nice... Yeah, no, that's true. It might give you places to visit. I bet a lot of people haven't been to Grand Rapids. I bet I've never been to Lancaster, PA. So I don't know you those. Bet you've never been there? Never I been. bet also that since you were willing to bet that you've never been to Lancaster, PA. <laughs> I bet I've I never been not, there. I will not take the opposite side of that bet. Oh, I bet you have, anyway. Joe. Yeah. Good stuff there. We'll link to both of those on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. I think the number one takeaway here is market downturn. What market downturn? How about that? Like it. And then number two is... Looking for a place to retire? Create your own top 10 list and start early and use it to places to go travel. James Clear upstairs talking to mom. By the way, I don't know what all this background noise is. Why, why, why did she move the bridge club down here? I'm not sure. Like seriously, I have to be closer to the cool guys. Yeah, I have. I have no. I have no idea why. He's an author and a speaker. Focuses on habits, decision making, and continuous improvement. The things we can control when it comes to managing your money. That's what this guy talks about. Absolutely love it. His work has appeared, of course, in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time, and on CBS this morning. You already know who James Clear is. I'm sure he's got a new book out called Atomic Habits. We're so excited to help you build Atomic Habits, but we're not going to do it because we got James here, James Clear, coming down to the basement. And coming down to the basement, Mr. James Clear is here. How are you, man? Hey, doing well. Thanks so much for uh, hanging out with me. Well, I'm glad that you included Texarkana on the tour for Atomic Habits. When did you first become interested in talking about habits or when did habits, when did habits even begin, in, I guess, inhabiting your brain that this is something that was kind of your life's calling? We're all building habits all the time, right? Like all humans have habits. So in that sense, I've been practicing them ever since I've been alive. You can't really turn the process off in your mind. But I kind of formally came exposed to them in two different ways. So the first was like through practice. I actually mean that literally. So I played baseball for uh, many years and all the way through college. And as any athlete can tell you, there are all kinds of habits and routines and rituals that that you're practicing. And so I first learned what it looked like to actually build a new habit or to create a habit in that sense uh, at practice and with my teammates each day. And then my athletic career wrapped up and I went to graduate school. I was in business school. And one of the things that I did while I was there was analyzing venture capital investment in the region. And so I was watching all these companies get rolled out. And that was where I kind of got the itch to like start my own thing too. And so over the next few years, I worked on, you know, my own projects and launching stuff and becoming an entrepreneur. And uh, most of them for the first two years or so just kind of flopped around, didn't really do a whole lot. 
I realized that the main thing that was holding me back was that I didn't know how to market. I didn't know like why someone would listen to a podcast or sign up to an email list or buy a product. In other words, I didn't really understand consumer habits. As soon as I was exposed to the field, I pretty quickly transitioned toward behavioral psychology and habit formation and started to realize how all of these things can impact my training habits in the gym or my eating habits in the kitchen or my writing habits for the business. And so uh, that led me down this rabbit hole of, of scientific research. What though, James, surprised you most when you first got into consumer behavior? I'm very curious because a lot of us, you know, we think we know a lot about consumer behavior, but there must have been some things where you went, wow, that's new. Well, one thing that's surprising is how often we purchase products or buy products, not because we necessarily want them in some like burning desire sense, but simply because they're presented to us. So about half of the sales of Coca-Cola happen from end of aisle racks. So those racks that are like at the end of the aisle at grocery stores or um, checkout aisles are another like huge area of, of like commerce and sales. The reason that that's true is that those end of aisle racks are very obvious. You can see them as you, you know, as you walk by every aisle rather than having it tucked down, like maybe on the bottom shelf, a third of the way down the aisle or something like that. So it's a much higher visibility. It seems to me not to cut you up, but it seems to me that when it comes to like business success, just getting the meeting, like getting in the room with the right people is half the key to winning then based on what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you could translate it that way. I mean, really what you could just say is whether it's a product or a service, the first step is to get exposure. If, if you're not in front of people, if you don't have their attention, if you're not in front of their eyeballs or uh, in their inbox or um, top of mind, they never have the choice to decide whether to buy from you or not. Of course, this is like part of the, the mission of a lot of branding and marketing is to be top of mind and to get exposure for products. Take cell phones, for example. I mean, they're always on us. I've started to implement this rule for myself where I keep my phone in another room until lunch each day. <laughs> so great. And, you know, it just gives me like a three or four hour block of time where I can work in a, a focused manner. And one of the reasons that I do that, one of the insights that I had when I did it, I have a home office. So the phone is just up the stairs. It's 45 seconds away. Now, if it was on me, if it was next to me, I would check it like every three minutes, like everybody else. But when it's in a different room, I never walk upstairs to get it, even though it's only 45 seconds of work. And so my point there is that, did I really want it or was I just doing it because it was easy? And a lot of our purchase habits are like that too. We buy the thing that's most convenient, that's most accessible, that's most available and obvious. Not because we really want it, the same way that I didn't even want my phone enough to walk upstairs for 45 seconds. But just because it's right in front of us and easy. That's funny. I assume, when, you, especially when you were talking about baseball earlier on, I was thinking about some baseball players, they talk about get bad habits. I'm guessing, James, that if we're not making good habits ourselves, like our body's making them anyway. Well, so, you know, I, I just wrote this book, Atomic Habits, and this is one of the things that I say in the very first chapter is that habits are a double-edged sword. They can either work for you or against you. And it's really important to understand how they work and how to kind of tweak the details and design them to your liking so that you are building habits that build you up rather than ones that are cutting you down. Like you need to avoid the dangerous half of the blade, so to speak. This is also central to this idea that I talk about, which is that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. They, they compound over time. They don't just add up. And what I mean by that is the same way that money multiplies through compound interest, the effects of your habits multiply as you repeat them over time. And early on, when you save money and you're trying to build up this nest egg, it doesn't really feel like a whole lot. Like you, you don't have much to show for it. In many ways, saving early on can feel maybe not depressing, but certainly not inspiring because you're not seeing this bank account grow a lot. All the action is delayed, right? It's, it's only when you're 10 or 20 or 30 years out that the compounding really takes over. And something similar happens when it comes to the effect of our habits on a daily basis. You know, like you're, um, what, what really is the difference between going to the gym for 30 minutes today or not? Uh, your body looks basically the same in the mirror at the end of the day. The scale hasn't really changed. There isn't a whole lot of immediate reward. Same thing is true for many other habits, you know, eating, for example. I mean, the difference between having a burger and fries or a salad for lunch today is basically nothing on the daily basis. But when you compound those habits over time, you end up in very different places two or five or 10 years later when the effects of those daily choices, those 1% better, 1% worse actions start to become very apparent. And so the curve is, is pretty similar to that compound interest curve where 
all the action is on the, the back half of the curve. But if I have the burger in front of me today, because you're talking my language here now, if, if I got the burger in front of me right now today, I always think the inverse of that. I think, well, because habits are slow building and things happen over time. This one little thing, James, isn't going to hurt me. Like, how do we get more intentional about getting rid of that burger today when we think, well, it's, you know, it's this accumulation of a lot of different things. One burger, big deal. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely true. And this is one of the things about habits is that bad habits are just as easy to overlook as good habits. You know, like, yeah, you don't really see a whole lot from eating that burger right now. Similarly, if you were to study a language for, you know, 10 minutes tonight, it's like, well, I still haven't learned the language. So why bother? Um, and understanding that this is true, that like there isn't a whole lot to see on the daily basis. That's one kind of defense against this. Just knowing that that's what the curve is going to look like. But the second defense is it comes down to immediate satisfaction. All behaviors produce multiple outcomes across time. So the immediate outcome of something like a bad habit, like eating a donut is that it's sugary and tasty and enjoyable in the moment. It feels good. The ultimate outcome, if you continue to repeat that habit for a month or a year, is that you gain weight or it's unhealthy and so on. So the immediate outcome is favorable. The ultimate outcome is unfavorable. For good habits, it's often the reverse, right? The immediate outcome of going to the gym right now is unfavorable. It requires yeah. sweat and effort and energy. The ultimate outcome is enjoyable in you know a year or however long you are in shape. And so much of the battle of building good habits and breaking bad ones is about figuring out ways to pull the long-term consequences of your bad habits into the present moment so you feel a little bit of the pain right now and have a reason to stop doing it, and finding ways to pull the long-term rewards, the benefits of your good habits into the present moment so that it's satisfying and enjoyable and you have a reason to keep doing it right now. That is probably the best buffer against this feeling of, oh, well, it doesn't really matter if I have a burger and fries right now. Because if you can figure out how to make that a little bit painful or figure out how to make the good habit more enjoyable, then the behavior is likely to increase uh, in the future. Give so me. there are a couple of interesting examples. Of yeah, this, but, yeah. So products, for example, are like a, there are a lot of business products that are interesting. So in the book, I talk about the story of chewing gum. So for chewing gum, it's been around for many, many years. And for a long time, it was like this bland resin. It wasn't until Wrigley launched in like 1880, 1890s, and they came out with Juicy Fruit and Spearmint and Double Mint and these flavors that suddenly chewing gum was more immediately satisfying. It tasted good, too. And that led to Wrigley taking off and becoming the biggest chewing gum company in the world. And chewing gum became this kind of worldwide habit. Similarly, there are a lot of examples of products currently in, in modern society that find ways to kind of layer a little bit of immediate satisfaction into the use of the product. So one of my favorite examples recently, BMW, uh, a couple years ago, they came out with a car that will effectively pump in the sound of additional engine growl through the speakers in the car whenever you step on the accelerator. So it kind of makes it more satisfying <laughs> to drive the car. Um, Ford came up with a similar system where the car is soundproof so that it's quiet most of the time. But if you really slam on the gas, then a valve opens up and lets the engine noise into the car so that it's you know more satisfying. But the point here is that whenever you have immediate satisfaction, it's kind of like a positive signal to your brain that says, hey, this felt good. You should do this again next time. And the more that you can find ways to do that, the more likely you are to stick with habits in the long run. It sounds like this idea then, James, of gamification that we're seeing with so many of the new fintech apps that they're really onto something there then. I think that that's true if it can be done well. You know, not everybody responds to points uh, or, you know, some kind of leaderboard or something like that. But uh, video games are a perfect example of the success of gamification. I mean, by definition, they are a game. But one reason that people enjoy using them so much is that there are always little bits of immediate satisfaction or positive feedback that are happening throughout the game. So, you know, as you advance through levels, there's a counter in the screen that, you know, in the top corner or whatever that's going up and, you know, counting your points. As you collect rubies or coins or whatever uh, power-ups throughout the game, there's little jingles and chimes and you can see yourself getting stronger. And the sound of like advancing through a level in the video game and hearing a little pitter-patter of the footsteps is like a positive feedback signal that says, hey, you're advancing through this level. The digital environment gives you a lot of control over this type of thing because yeah. you can, you know, companies can create an experience where you're getting positive feedback at like the ideal rate. In the physical world, it's a little bit more difficult, but two ways that you can do this with your habits. The first is social. A lot of our habits are socially reinforced. I'll just step back for a second and talk about this from a broad level. So 
we are all part of multiple tribes. Some of the tribes are large, like what it means to be American or Australian or French. And some of the tribes are smaller, like what it means to be a neighbor on your local street or a member of your local CrossFit gym or someone who volunteers at the, the local high school. All of these tribes, large and small, have a set of shared expectations that are part of that group. And habits that align with the shared expectations of the group are attractive and habits that conflict with the shared expectations of the group are unattractive. And so it's often easier to stick with habits in the long run and much more satisfying to perform a habit when you're surrounded by people where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Uh, because if that's the case, then you're strongly aligned with, with that group. I've talked about this before. I didn't start getting interested in marathoning until we moved to Texarkana 10 years ago and I've run 11 marathons in 10 years. So Hmm. Uh, yeah, to your point, and it's just because all my friends here do it. I mean, that's purely the reason why I do that is exactly to your point. The key word that you use there is friends. It's really about belonging and that's what makes us want to stick to the habits of the tribe or not. You want to join a group where one, the desired behavior is the normal behavior and two, you already have something else in common with the group or with those people, or you try to find some area of shared interest because you can then bond over the thing that you share and become friends. And then once you're friends, you'll want to adopt the habits that are normal for them um, because you don't want to lose your friends. You want to be part of the group. Yeah. So you get these additional benefits. Right. Correct. So social reinforcement is a good way to make habits more satisfying in the moment. The second form is uh, what I guess I'll call identity reinforcement. I mean, the ultimate form of immediate satisfaction or immediate gratification is the reinforcement of your desired identity. For example, I just a few moments ago gave the example of going to the gym where I said, well, what is the benefit of working out? You know, you sweat, it's effortful. The immediate benefit isn't a whole lot. It seems like it's mostly delayed. But that doesn't have to be the case. If you can shift your focus to how working out makes you feel good or to the fact that every time you get a workout in, it reinforces your identity of being the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. Well, then as soon as you do one push-up or run 10 steps, you can feel satisfied with that. And so... It's a small bit of immediate gratification or immediate satisfaction that gives you a reason to return again the next time. If you can do that, if you can manage to shift your mindset so that your habits become a signal of your desired identity and see it as a way of proving to yourself that you're becoming the type of person you want to become, then you can become satisfied in the moment, even if you're waiting for the long-term rewards to show up. That's really cool. So this idea that we hear often then of putting what you want to be on your refrigerator or on your bathroom mirror every day, that's kind of what you're getting at, isn't it? This projecting. Well, so I think that that can certainly be part of the process. A lot of the time, so what you're kind of hinting at is kind of on the periphery of this idea that you'll hear some people talk about of like fake it till you make it. But fake it till you make it is a little bit different than what I'm talking about here, because that is asking you to hold on to a belief without having evidence for it. There's a word for beliefs that don't have evidence, which is delusion. And at some point, if you are deluding yourself long enough, if you're trying to believe something you don't have evidence for, then the brain doesn't like that and you'll give up on it. And so this is where I think habits are so key for shaping and informing and reinforcing your desired identity. Habits are the path. They're the way through which you embody a particular identity. So every time you make your bed, you are embodying the identity of someone who is clean and organized. Every time you go to the gym, you are embodying the identity of a fit person. Every time you write one sentence, you embody the identity of being a writer. So in this way, it's kind of like every action you take is a vote for the type of person that you believe that you are. And as you cast those votes and accumulate evidence, this little mountain of evidence builds up and you have something to root the identity and something to root your behavior. And you now have evidence for being that type of person. And in the long run, I think that's incredibly important. And it's also maybe the ultimate reason that habits matter. You know, I mean, on one hand, we often talk about habits as being the path to external results, like making more money or losing weight or reducing stress or being more productive. And it's true that habits can help you do all of those things. They can help you get those external results. But I think the real reason habits matter is that they are the path through which you forge your identity, the way through which you reinforce and build up evidence of a particular self-image. 
So in that sense, they're important not for an external reason, but because they deliver internal results. They help reinforce different aspects of ourselves and uh, help us believe and become confident in a certain aspect of our self-image and identity. I want to ask you one more question before we have to say goodbye, which is the relationship between habits and automation. Technology automation, you mean? Yeah, like automating things so that I don't worry about it. It seems to me that as much as building habits is important, automating all those things that aren't important so I can focus on the good habits is also important. True or, or not really? No, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and in fact, I think that automation is so important, so powerful that whenever possible, you should automate whatever habits you can. Classic finance examples like this, like, you know, setting up automatic bill pay or an automatic deposit from your paycheck each month, those kind of things. Automation is particularly powerful for habits that you like don't do them enough for them ever to become automatic for yourself, you know? So things like um, rebalancing your portfolio once a year. Well, you're only going to do that once a year. So it's not going to be something that's consistent enough for you to uh, make a habit of it or for it to become something on autopilot. But even when we're not talking about these, I guess, infrequent habits, I think automation can be incredibly powerful. So usually we talk about this with respect to software services or different kind of uh, technology products. But it's important to remember that technology can mean a lot of different things. You know, like in a sense, the chair that I'm sitting in right now is a piece of technology that is allowing me to sit. Technology and automation can make habits easier for you day in and day out. One example of this is uh, sleep habits. So there are a variety of one-time choices you could make that make the habit of getting better sleep each night easier. You could buy a nicer mattress, for example, which helps you sleep better each night. You could purchase blackout curtains so that the room is really dark. You could buy earmuffs or some kind of earplugs or headphones to wear so that it's quiet if you're in a noisy room. You could purchase an eye mask or a sleep mask so that you can uh, sleep when you're on the plane or on the road in hotels. One of my favorite examples, uh, my friend near Ayal bought a what's called an outlet timer. You basically, it's like a little adapter that you plug into an outlet and then you plug the device into it and you can set it for a particular time to kill the power from that outlet. So he plugged it into his outlet, set the timer for 10 p.m. and then plugged his internet router into it so that at 10 p.m. each night, <laughs> it killed the internet. And he was like, all right, well, the internet's off time for everybody to go to bed. And the point is, if you make a bunch of one-time choices like that, investments in technology and different products, then you can effectively nudge yourself into the right habit again and again, right? Like he's, if you did all of those things, you're surrounded by a variety of technology and automation and different products that make it easier to power down at 10 PM, get eight hours of sleep and wake up feeling refreshed. And so in a lot of ways that habit is, uh, primed for you. And all you have to do is just crawl in bed. That's fabulous. The book is called Atomic Habits. It comes out tomorrow. By the way, just before we let you go, how how exciting is it? I know this isn't your first rodeo, but I got to think every time you have a new product come to market, like a new book with some more of your ideas, it's just got to be exciting. Well, I've launched a couple of products before, but this is my first book. Uh, and so it feels very special for that reason and exciting. You know, I'm kind of learning as I go with this, right? Like I, I'm doing my best to focus on what I can control, first of all. One thing that I've noticed with the book that's that's kind of interesting is that, you know, I spent three years researching and writing this. And so in a sense, it's kind of like, I feel like the book is me, or it's at least like what I've been recently. Yeah. So if people don't like the book, it kind of feels like they don't like you or right. they don't like what you've been working on. Right. And of course I know that's not true if I'm, you know, if I'm talking about it like this, but it's still hard to distance yourself from people who don't like it or a bad review or some kind of criticism. So I have more and more respect for anybody who's gone through a creative process like that and shared their ideas with the wider world, because it takes a lot of courage to put your stuff out there and to throw it up against the test of society and see if it withholds the challenge or stands the test. So anyway, yeah, all that to say, I'm very excited. Yeah. About it. I, I think the book will be great. And, um, and I'm really happy to share it with everyone. It's awesome. Out tomorrow available everywhere, James. Yeah. So the book is called Atomic Habits. You can check it out at atomichabits.com. It is available everywhere. So go into Barnes and Noble or whatever, you'll find it there as well. And also at that site, uh, at atomichabits.com, I have a couple additional guides on that, like how to use the book. There's a, a secret chapter that's not uh, mentioned in the book itself. There is a bonus guide on how to apply the ideas to business. 
another guide on how to apply the ideas to parenting, and a couple other templates and worksheets and things uh, that help you implement the ideas in the book. But anyway, all of that is at atomichabits.com. Awesome. And you know what, guys, if you're out walking the dog or on your commute, we got you covered. We'll have all of uh, the links to that on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. James, thanks a lot and good luck with the rest of the tour. Thank you so much. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I love all this talk about habits. But me, I only have three habits. Wash my face before eating turkey and pick my toenails up from outside the basement. But if I had a fourth habit, I'd watch old I Love Lucy episodes. (laughs) That lady is a hoot. Hey, here's a question. While all of you young kids might not know that I Love Lucy was a black and white television show, I'm sure it was Joe's favorite show when he was like 20. Here's a question. What year did the colorized Christmas episode release? Here's a hint. It was closer to today than you might think. I'll have that answer and why we're talking about it today in just a moment. Big thanks to RX Bar for supporting Stacking Benjamins. As I said at the open, RX Bar is a protein bar made with 100% whole ingredients and no BS. That's short for bad stuff like added sugars, artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. It's made with a few simple clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose like egg whites for protein, dates that bind it, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate real fruit and spices like sea salt or cinnamon you're going to provide the when you mix that all together and what do you got creates one delicious protein bar i opened one on my flight on the way home from kansas city and you should have seen the guy next to me did you have a blueberry one wishing i did have a blueberry one yeah because that one smells the best (laughs) it tastes the best and it also smells the best so i mean you immediately smell blueberry which is a lot different than what i smelled on my plane ride home from oh nice as the uh seatbelt sign went off somebody came barreling up from behind as fast as they could to the to the front of the plane to the place to the thing yeah and uh it's a great transition on rx and that's that's a rx bars smell much better than that (laughs) and they taste way better Not only do they smell better, but they're also gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugars, no added colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. They come in 14 delicious flavor varieties and seasonal flavors, too. Whether you like sweet and savory chocolate or fruit, there's an RX bar for you. They're ideal for breakfast on the go. When you do your Kansas City tour stop, snacks at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slub, throwing in your bag for a plane tossing in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike i often have them before or after a run now check this out brand new rx nut butter rx has an rx nut butter which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites fruits and nuts each single serve packet squeezable and spreadable and contains delicious creamy nut butter with nine grams of high quality protein pairs great with fruit rice cakes pretzels or straight out of the pouch Get 25% off your first order at rxbar.com forward slash SB and use promo code SB at checkout. That's rxbar.com forward slash SB, promo code SB. We also want to say thanks again to everybody who made it out to see us in Orlando and brave the weather in Kansas City. Man, oh gee, do we have fun. I got to tell you, Joel Goldberg on his show had Bob Kendrick from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and he lit it up. That was so awesome and inspiring. I just love like hearing all those old stories. Gosh, it was so fun. Just story after story about some of these legendary players, and that was something our audience didn't expect. And guess what? No. In, in Detroit, we've got some more surprises like that, but you got to be there to hear it. So stackybedjamins.com forward slash tour for more. Tickets are 10 bucks. And you get not just us, but we've got Seth Ressler and the Debrief Podcast opening for us. Not going to tell you who his guest is either, but he's going to bring it just like Chris Browning did in Orlando. And uh, of course, Joel Goldberg did in Kansas City. On top of that, you're going to have the whole Stacky Benjamins crew. I had somebody tell me the other day, said, I didn't realize you were all coming. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
we're all coming to Detroit. We all get dragged there, just like you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Joe, Joe puts you in the suitcase. We save money that way. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash tour. That is October 24th in fabulous Ferndale, Michigan. That's at nine mile north of Detroit. You'll find tickets on sale for the show starting at 7 p.m. Other shows have started at 7.30. This one starts at 7. Tickets on sale, stackybenjamins.com forward slash tour. By the way, I should tell you, I'll be in Detroit early Sunday morning. If you're up early, I'll be on WXYZ, the station I used to appear on all the time, Channel 7. And then Wednesday morning, I just found out I'm going to be on Fox 2. So you can see me on uh, both of those stations leading up to the tour. And then I'm also going to be in Detroit Scene Magazine. So if you get Scene Magazine or can look it up online, you'll see me there as well. Hey there, trivia fiends. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just realized I have a sixth habit. Tying my shoes before running to the mailbox for my latest shipment of foot fungus remover. But ah, let's scratch that itch later because today we're all about the old show I Love Lucy with today's trivia question, which I colorized this way. What year did the colorized Christmas episode of I Love Lucy first appear? While the hit show I Love Lucy appeared first on today's date way back in 1950, the colorized Christmas episode first appeared just five years ago in 2013. I wonder if someday they'll colorize this podcast. If so, I'll have to remember that my right side is definitely my best side, so they should color that side with a little bit more color. Know what I mean? See ya! Thanks again to James for coming down to the basement. I can't figure out why mom decided to play bridge in the background, but hey, it's her house. Her house, OG. It is her house. Yes. And by the way, it is, to James' point, all about habits, especially in down markets like now. I think having good habits and having good systems are what are going to bring you through the bumpiness of this ride. It's important to establish the plan while you're cogent and (laughs) everything's hunky-dory so that you don't have to worry about it when things aren't so hunky-dory, right? That's a great point. I mean, we're seeing in a lot of Facebook forums, people talking about what the strategy should be now. I don't think now, now is probably not the good time to be formulating your strategy. Or changing your strategy, right? Yeah, right. Hey, why don't we throw out the Haven Lifeline, OG, and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, you know what they're doing? They're putting what you, not me, what you value first. Please, God, market volatility and SpaghettiOs. Well, can you put market volatility before SpaghettiOs? They got to come after. I said and. Oh, and. Yeah. Uh, Your loved ones and your time are what they were thinking, but I like yours too. It's why they made buying quality term life insurance actually super simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you'll get a free quote. Actually, what's cool is if you don't know how much life insurance you need, I really like- As much as you can afford. No. I like their calculator. Yes. Calculate it. Don't go overboard because hopefully you don't die for a long time. But- because you don't know when you're going to die, you should probably go get it now. By the way, looking at uh, prices over there, example of a quote, a 20-year, $500,000 Haven term life policy issued by Mass Mutual for a healthy 35-year-old man starts at $21 a month. And of course, men pay more than women do. I just saw on Twitter that they're raising the limits from two to three million. Wow. And they just raised it to two, not that they long ago. They just raised it to two, yeah. So I don't know if that's in all states, but they put it on Twitter. So I'll talk to our friend. It must be true. If it's on Twitter, it's got to be true. I'll talk to Brittany at Haven Life about that and see if we can get an update. But today, let's get an update from our new friend, David. Say hi, David. Hello, Joe and OG. Hey, uh, I'm currently dollar cost averaging into a taxable account with Schwab. I can get into this fund with no commission and the uh, expense ratio is 0.03%. I'm planning on doing this for at least the next five years, maybe 10, and have been doing this for the last few months. The fund is SWPPX. 
the Schwab S&P 500 Index Fund. My question is, is this the best way to be doing this, to maximize growth and minimize fees and taxes? The goal is to have money in retirement that my taxes have already been paid on. I already max out my 401k, Roth, and HSA. You know, I don't expect to, to learn anything, but if you have any any bits of guidance, I'll, uh, I'll consider them. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for at least considering them, David. I might consider them. He'll consider our opinions, I guess. So what do you think about that? Dollar cost averaging into an S&P 500 fund for after-tax money now that his tax shelters are maxed out? It reminds me of the, uh, I think it's Winston Churchill quote of democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. And I think that kind of applies to this as well. You know, dollar cost averaging into an S&P fund is probably the worst form of investing except for everything else. (laughs) Yeah, it isn't sexy. It isn't wonderful. I like the fact that he's dollar cost averaging into an account that's flexible where he doesn't have to worry about all of these, you know, rules and all he's got to worry about really is a capital gains tax when he pulls the money out. Well, and I would say, you know, is there a way to do this better? Sure. Put in a million dollars today. That would probably be a better way than sending in your thousand dollars a month into your brokerage account, but it's fine. You know, eventually you're going to get to the point where you should maybe think about diversifying a little bit. Right now you're 100% 100% in U.S. large company stocks. Maybe you want to add U.S. small company stocks there in some percentage or international stocks or emerging market or some fixed income in some percentage. Oh, God, did I just say that out loud? Um, depending on your risk tolerances. <laughs> I swallow my tongue. That that's, the, that's, that's the bingo square nobody hardly ever no gets. No one will ever get that one. Yes, OG you had to be fixed lucky and hear this episode. But I mean, it's fine. The, here's the problem is that if you stop doing it in the next three or five or 10 years because of a feeling you have, well, the market seems like it's going up. So I should probably, it's at an all time high. I should, I should let off the gas. Maybe have a little dry powder, you know, just in case. Or, ah, uh, the market's going down. Or, ah, uh, this S&P fund sucks. So I'm going to go get a different S&P fund, which by the way, they should all be markedly similar, you know. Like we just said two minutes ago, you've got your plan, put it on autopilot, call me in 10 years when you're retired and you've done this for 10 straight years. That might be my favorite part is that this is a great autopilot plan. Make it happen, Dave. Nice job, David. If you've got a question for us. Sorry, David. Yes. Well, you guys are on a first name basis now. I'm sure you can call him yeah. Dave. Mr. Mr. Dave is how Mr. I, Dave. What I say. Head to that's it's funny because here, you know, in Texarkana, people very polite and they always say, Mr., you know, Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, but nobody can pronounce my last name, so it's always Mr. Joe. (laughs) Just we're just gonna call you Mr. So complicated, yeah, Mr. Saw Joe, yeah. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Mr. Dave, for the question. If you've got a question for us. The Haven Lifeline is the best way to go because David uh, taking home some Stacky Benjamin swag. But also, we do get letters down here in the basement, and Doug just brought down today's, which comes to us from Natalie. Natalie says, first of all, thanks for the podcast. I always love listening and really appreciate what y'all have to say. Since we know I haven't learned anything on your show, I've even started listening to a lot of the podcasts from people you've had on the show so that I can actually learn something. My boyfriend and I are, yes, my boyfriend and I are trying to decide what we should be doing with the money we don't spend or save for retirement each month. We're lucky enough to have no debt. We both make around 80,000 and investing wise are both maxing out our HSAs, maxing out our Roth IRAs and contributing to our 401ks enough to get the match. Our fund options are really bad here. I have an emergency fund with about five months of expenses and a high yield savings account and have a smaller savings account that I contribute to each paycheck to save money for travel. My boyfriend's working on building his emergency fund in a high yield savings account as well. I also have about 28,000 in non-retirement investments, real estate, a Schwab robo-advisor account, and other random ETFs. 
We aren't sure what our best next step for saving should be. We love our apartment and have no desire to buy a house, but no, we might want to in about five years or so. So should we be working to build up more of a cash reserve to buy this theoretical house? Should we be investing more money in classic exchange traded funds in the robo advisor? Should we be contributing more to our 401ks, even though the six non-target date fund options they have are bad? If this was your situation, what would you do? Great uh, question, Natalie. By the way, Natalie says she has no debt and she's saving a lot of money. And she says we're lucky enough. Nothing lucky about that. I right. mean, number one, maybe maybe she was in the right place to be able to have some of the income that she got to be able to do that. But to make the decision to avoid overspending still is a choice. It's not low. Well, there's plenty of people who make $80,000 a year that have $80,000 in credit card debt. Yes. Yeah. Nothing lucky there. I think what you want to do here is pick something and stick with it. A smattering of brokerage accounts and robo accounts and uh, ETFs and mutual funds and stocks in a brokerage account, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't you just pare that all down into one place and take a clue from Mr. Dave a few seconds ago just throw your money into a brokerage account and diversify it and be done with it. That's probably what I would do considering you, you threw out the, well, maybe we'll buy a house goal. If you don't like that, then yeah, I would max out your 401k because crappy funds still trump not saving. So I would rather have investments in a crappy fund, a whole bunch of it than not save it at all. I think assuming that you're saving enough for your financial independence goal, then it's a matter of what do you want and starting with the end in mind. So I like having the money available for that house, even though she said the house might not happen. I like having yeah. it in a spot where you can get at it. I don't like the fact that you're going to earn less money by doing it that way. But I also like if your mind changes and all the other goals are fine, why why wouldn't you put it in a spot where it's available? So yeah, What if you have kids down the line and you got to pay for college or you decide to move across country or, you know, you got to help out mom and dad for whatever reason. There's all sorts of different things to have that cash for. And that's what drives me nuts about people that want to be super tax efficient because they put all their money in these beautiful tax efficient accounts. And I get it. And I think that you should be tax efficient. And frankly, I also think more people should think about tax efficiency, but you and I both know people on the other end of that bridge, everything's tax efficient. And then all of a sudden that short-term goal comes up and oh crap, I don't have any money available for the thing that I really want right now. Right. I like the liquidity. The other question here, Natalie, is around your 401k, and that's this. I understand the options expense-wise might not be that great, but when you couple it with the pre-tax nature of that plan, putting it in the 401k, like if she doesn't need it for anything else and if she's sure that she doesn't want this house, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm calling into question these funds being really bad. Mm-hmm. because a fund that's directionally right, but not optimal in a tax shelter versus having money go toward a goal that also is the same time frame as the goal of the money in the tax shelter. I'll take the tax shelter worse fund versus better fund outside the tax shelter. And if the 401k is so bad, why don't you talk to HR about fixing it? Take the initiative. I mean, maybe you work at Ford and there's nowhere to, you know, you, you're on the totem pole way at the bottom. Right. <laughs> Nobody will take your call at HR. But, you know, if you're in a 200 person firm or a 500 person firm or a thousand person firm, why don't you send a note to HR and say, when was the last time we reviewed it? But don't come with complaints. Come with complaints plus a solution. Hey, I noticed this thing isn't as great as it could be. Have you considered this option? Yeah, much better. Thanks for the question, Natalie. If you've got a question for the podcast, head to stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page, you'll see questions for the show. Guess what? You click that link and bam, you're in this magical area called the different ways to interface with us. And I know, pinch yourself. You too might get to interface with us. I get to sit here across the table from OG every day and yum. That's all I got to say. (laughs) It's true. Speaking of OG, you are running out of time this year. I think when this airs, you got like a week and a half to get in in 2018. If you want to have an advisor in your corner, 
head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. That's letter O, letter G. And uh, OG's firm still taking clients here for just a short amount of time in 2018. All right. That's going to do it, man. Let's put a fork in this one. Hey, uh, Doug. Uh, almost, how, how long have we been working with Doug? And I almost forgot his name. Hey, uh, you creepy you guy, creepy, <laughs> creepy guy in the corner. Uh, right. what, what should we have learned today? He would have replied to that one too. He totally would have. He answers to that. So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from James Clear. Habit building? Sure. Seems difficult, but making some tiny changes in your life can yield amazing results. Second, stock market drop. What stock market drop? Stop looking and just start planning, people. Focus your eyes on the horizon, friends, and you'll be there riding into the sunset in no time. But the big lesson? Write a book about basements. It's sure to make the best sellers list. Oh, come on, people. You know that was funny. You heard me say the C in the E in the L-L-A-R-S. You could hear it in my It was just funny, damn it. Special thanks to James Clear for stopping by. You'll find Atomic Habits wherever books are sold, and James Clear will be at, shockingly, jamesclear.com. Where else would he be? This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm a lot deeper than you realize. In fact, sometimes I just stand in front of my mirror and reflect. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Due to current economic conditions, it's my job to inform you that the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off. A lot of people talking about this movie, OG. Cheryl and I and some friends went and saw this little film called A Star is Born. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Takes a lot to change. Hell, it takes a lot to try You know, man, in the old days I always knew, like, you were gonna do something That you'd be alright It's the first time I'm worried about you Can I ask you a personal question? Okay Tell me something, girl do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they like the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. Hey. What? I just want to take another look at you. In all the good times. That's uh, Bradley Cooper as a fading rock star and Lady Gaga as a star that he discovers. And uh, together you see his his career starting to go off the rails and her career 
picking up while uh, the two of them also are getting together. A remake of a movie. I, I was reading something earlier. This movie has actually been remade several times. Of course, there's the Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand version of the movie. I think that a lot of people know. But there's uh, a few other versions of of this film. I don't know. All I'm reading online is how fantastic this film is. Have you read a lot about this movie or friends that have seen it? Well, you saw it. My uh, my brother saw it. He said he liked it. Yeah. Everybody I know liked it. I thought it was really flipping long. I thought it was incredible. I thought it was really well acted. I thought Bradley Cooper did a great job. Lady Gaga was fantastic. The music's really good. I thought it just took forever. And the plot was so slow. And uh, I won't spoil it. And I'm going to sound like a heartless human being for people that uh, that saw the movie. They're going to know what I'm referring to. But there's an event that happens near the end of the movie. And you know it's going to happen probably for 20 minutes leading up to it. And by the end, I'm like, oh, God, just let it happen so I can Jump go home. Jump off the bridge, damn it. Please let this horrible thing happen so I can go home. <laughs> because I just, I was, I don't know. You know, I was reading... A uh, friend saying, oh, that movie touched my heart and it was fantastic. And, uh, and I'm, no, it was long. It was boring. And uh, it was so well. the soundtrack on Spotify. Yes. I could listen. Be done with it. it. I totally, I could listen to this music all day and all night. It's wonderful. The movie's boring. It is boring. <laughs> so. It sounds like something I would say about this movie. <laughs> it is. I know I'm getting hate mail about this one. Because so many people liked it. Just, nah, nah, whatever. How many explosions are there? That's the first thing I want to ask. Zero. Okay. You had me at zero. Yep, there it was. So uh, that's all we need. No explosions. Our explosion meter's at zero. Enough said. (laughs) Like the little bottom of the (laughs) bottom of the crawl. It's just got like, oh, geez, explosion meter. Zero out of five. (laughs) Number one, what's the Rotten Tomato score? Number two, What's the audience like popcorn score? Number three, what's the explosion meter? (laughs) Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 